0: You're listening to the Douglas Jacoby Podcast. Here we bring you some of the material found on Douglas's website in podcast form. We hope that as you listen, you are challenged to think about faith. Today, Douglas is continuing his series on New Testament characters, now looking at the woman caught in adultery. For more on this episode, follow the link in the show notes to Douglas's website. Now here's today's teaching. You're listening to New Testament Character Study 33, The Woman Caught in Adultery. This may be one of the best-known passages on Jesus' interaction with sinners in the entire Bible, even though it's not in the original manuscripts of John's Gospel. More on that in a moment. Let me read our text. Early in the morning, and this is John 8, verses 2 to 11. Early in the morning he came again to the temple, All the people came to him, and he sat down and began to teach them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. And making her stand before all of them, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in the very act of committing adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They said this to test him, so that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let anyone among you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And once again he bent down and wrote on the ground. When they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the elders. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus straightened up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, sir. And Jesus said, Neither do I commend you. Go your way, and from now on, do not sin again. I was reading from the New Revised Standard Version. It's a beautiful passage. It rings true. It's completely consonant with everything we know of Christ. And it's of very early origin. And for that reason, it's found in most Bibles. Few scholars doubt its authenticity, even if it wasn't originally in its present location in John. Sometimes it comes in Luke 21. In some manuscripts, it's after John 7.36 or John 7.44. Sometimes it's even after John 21.25 or missing entirely. And although scholars nearly unanimously reject the story as an original in John's Gospel. They're also of one mind in accepting its authenticity. This is an early reminiscence of something that happened. It's perfectly in character with what we know of Jesus and his attitude towards sin and sinners. It's unlikely to be an invention of the later church, since in the 2nd century, sin was dealt with much more harshly than it is in this passage. Maybe you didn't know that, but church history shows that they had all kinds of strict rules, even in the 2nd century, so this points to an earlier period, 1st century. And some early Christian preserved the story, and some early copyist of John stuck it right between chapter 7 and 8, probably because it seemed a good fit. There are verses about judgment, there are tensions between Jesus and the Pharisees. It fits very well in that location. Now, if you want more on this, you want to find out exactly why uh, and which early manuscripts uh, contain the passage, just visit the chapter notes on John 8 at this website. And many of those notes are actually produced uh, in this in this lesson, but there are over 350 detailed Studies going through every chapter of the New Testament. I hope you'll use that as a resource. So what's going on here? Well, as was Jesus' custom during the feast, he taught in the day, and he stayed evening somewhere on the Mount of Olives. It actually mentions mentions that in verse 1. I think this was most likely the hospitality of Lazarus and Mary and Martha that he was enjoying. The venue for his teaching was... The temple complex, it was the temple complex. And interestingly, by forgiving the adulteress, he was challenging the priests. In a way, he was usurping their authority. People were supposed to go to the priest to be forgiven and bring sacrifices and, and confess. And here's Jesus taking care of all of it. The setting is early morning. It's before the heat of day. He's teaching in a seated position, which was the normal posture of a rabbi with his disciples. And then comes a shocking interruption. And the question and the arrest of the woman seems staged. Everything seems like a setup. Since adultery takes place in secret, it's likely that the accusers had been waiting and maybe hoping for the transgression to take place. And so I think that they're posturing like the the adultery itself was an object of their desire, they really uh, were guilty of premeditation. Only the woman was brought in anyway, despite the implicit charge that the man had been present. Verse four, the accusers have very little concern for her. Their aim is to trap Jesus. How? Well, he advocated compassion. He even forbade us to hate our enemies. He had intimated that the new covenant was in the process of being inaugurated, that the old law might not apply anymore, and yet the Torah required the death penalty for both parties in adultery. That's in Leviticus 20. So would Jesus contradict the law of Moses, or would he contradict himself? Would he take the high ground and just forgive without punishment, consistent with his teaching, and yet going against the law of Moses, or would he say the politically expedient thing and act as though he completely agreed with the priests and the scribes and, and thus contradict himself. Masterfully, Jesus extricates both himself and the woman from the, from the dilemma. He and the woman are both in hot water, in a sense. They're in the hot seat. And he frees himself and he frees the woman with the reply perfectly suited to the occasion. You know, Jesus was always an excellent thinker on his feet. So he acknowledges the demand of the law for adulterers, when he says, let anyone without sin cast the first stone. And yet he confronts everyone present with their own sin and their potential hypocrisy in judging her. And so extricates himself and the woman from this dilemma. The older ones walk away first. They realize that Jesus has won. And they're not going to be trapped. They walk away. They realize that Jesus won't be trapped either. And so they they go. The younger ones in the crowd, who are less savvy, more moralistic, they linger longer. But in the end, they too flee the scene. And the accusers apparently depart as well, because at the end, there are only two people remaining, Jesus and the woman. Now, while he offers her forgiveness, he hardly condones her immorality. He tells her, sin no more. And this heartwarming vignette demonstrates the church's attitude towards erring members' sin will not be taken lightly, but forgiveness is always available if there is repentance. Interestingly, a number of early Christian writers pointed to John 8 to demonstrate their opposition to capital punishment. This really surprised me. That's why I did a whole podcast on capital punishment. Perhaps you've listened to it. But the early position... Um, is illustrated in writers like like Lactantius. And I've simply put this in the notes that come with the podcast. You can read it. But they were unanimously against the death penalty. That surprised me. I figured that they would all be for it. But no, that's not how they understood Jesus' words. Who is this woman? Because she's the character I want to talk about in our remaining minutes. Well, first, she's a nobody. A cipher just an object. She's been dehumanized. Remember the blind man in John 9, that the very next chapter, his disciples say, well who sinned? This is an interesting case. Who sinned? This guy or his parents? He was born blind. Like the blind man, she's of interest only for theological reasons. No one really cares about her. No one truly loves her. Obviously, the person committing adultery with her <laughs> didn't have her interest truly at heart or those who brought her in for execution. Everyone walks away. Jesus cares. So she's a nobody. She's a victim. She's been set up, so it seems. We don't know anything about her past. Was she lured into the trap? We don't know. But she's certainly been set up. She's guilty. Oh, yeah. We can be both. We can be victims and guilty at the same time. We can be causes and effects. Uh, someone else can be responsible for causing us to stumble, like Luke 17, woe to them, but, but we can be guilty for taking a step that causes to fall. So she's guilty. It takes two to tango. It takes two to commit adultery. She may not be responsible for the system, but she's responsible for her own actions. Well, what am I saying when I claim That the woman caught in adultery is a nobody, a victim, and guilty. I'm saying that she is each one of us. Because outside of Christ, the world views us as nobodies. We, or maybe some well-meaning experts, may insist that... We've been victimized. We had no choice, really, given our conditions, our background. Yet, in our heart of hearts, and in the presence of the Holy God, we're guilty. We know that. And we all stand as much in need of Christ's grace as this poor woman. And so we can learn from here. From her, a nobody, a victim, guilty. But if we're in Christ, we are new creations. We hope you enjoy Douglas' teaching on New Testament characters. For additional notes and resources, be sure to check out Douglas' website in the show notes. The website has hundreds of articles, podcasts, and videos for you to access for free. You can also become a premium subscriber and gain access to thousands of online resources from Douglas' teaching ministry. Thanks again for listening.